Hi, everyone. I'm Amy Spain Duncan. I am an alcoholic. My sobriety date is March the 6th of 2010. I am sponsored by a woman who is sponsored, and I sponsor women who sponsor women who sponsor women, and I love that part of my life so much. I have a home group. Uh, I have two home groups, really. I have one that meets on Zoom. That's kind of just a holdover from COVID. And I have an in-person home group that I've been a part of uh, for the past 10 years. And that group raised me. You know, I, I have that home group where you it's a pocket of enthusiasm, you know, and the feeling was electric. And I love that about my home group. It's a perfect place for me. Um I want to thank uh, Ralph for reaching out and including me and all of the people who are doing service today to make this possible. I want to thank Kent, who I've already thanked, but um, I, I just I appreciate you, Kent, uh, so much and all that you do. And, of course, Polly, my hero. Uh, the first time I met ha uh, Polly, I actually cried. Like, I... <laughs> I fangirled out. I, I, I tell you, it was like, you're Polly Pistol. Uh, and she was so kind and sweet to me as she is to all of us. And, and I just can't thank you enough for that, Polly, because when I got here, I thought uh, the ego is a tremendous thing. And the ego will say, I'm the best or I'm the worst. But what it wants to do mostly is separate you from everything else. And so my ego said, these women aren't like me. They, they, they don't know what kind of mom I've been and how I failed so miserably. And they don't know what, that I'm an adulteress. And they don't know that I am dangerously antisocial. They don't know how dark and evil it is to be me. And, um, when women like Polly would get up and just full disclosure, you know, uh, then it gave me this hope that maybe just maybe they're not like me now, right? They've had the 12 steps. They've had a spiritual experience. They're doing better in their lives, but we all kind of started from the same place. And so that hope was instilled in me. And so I'm just so grateful for women and men who are honest from the podium, uh, because if you had kept it real general, um, I might not be here. I needed to know, you know, I needed to know, I needed to connect. I needed to know that, uh, that I was amongst friends and that you had a genuine concern for my well-being, asking nothing in return. I had felt unsafe so long and in Alcoholics Anonymous, I felt safe. And that um, was the hook, right, for me. So um, when Ralph asked me to talk on resentments, I we laughed uh, because I don't really have any. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I am the queen of justified anger. I am the, they had it coming. They should have known better. You're going to learn today, you know, messing with the wrong one. You done after round. Now you're going to find out, you know, this is me. This is how I came in and can still be an Alcoholics Anonymous, right? Because when I talk to you about feeling safe, I want you to know that I felt unsafe. Right. So I viewed the world as this hostile place. I walked around with my dukes up, man. I was waiting for you to swing and I was going to swing back. And I got into this crazy, bizarre world of Alcoholics Anonymous where you speak the language of the heart, where you talk about forgiveness. You talk about setting aside things and and, uh, and love and tolerance is our code. And I'm like, who are you like shiny, happy people? There's no way this works in real world, you know, uh, because I, I just brought so much anger and resentment and, and insanity with me when I got here. And 
and we talk about um, pulling out old ideas, root and branch. You know, I wasn't willing to put all those things down. I was incapable of putting all those things down. Even if I wanted to, I didn't have the power to. Those things were engraved and embedded and they were part of me and I could not wish them away. The the book tells me that I can no more wish away a resentment as I could wish away drinking. Like this is part of me. I'm going to need help with this. I'm going to need big, big help. And the truth is, maybe I don't want to let go of all of them. Maybe they fuel me. Maybe they make me feel superior. Maybe they make me feel this delusional sense of power. Maybe I want to hang on to that because they, they had it coming. So you had to convince me that it was in my own best interest to let go of resentment. Right. Um, because I, I want to hang on to things and I, and I want to use them as weapons and justification for behaviors and ideas and ways I treat people. And um, and that's not going to work here. You know, that's not going to work. And, and that um, and I needed this to work. So I was willing to do whatever you you said to do. Um, uh, I want to you know, I love to hear Kent talk because he talks about the irritable, restless, and discontent um, of sobriety, right? So that that's the problem. The problem is I don't know how to be sober. And sober, I'm very uncomfortable. And sober, I'm irritable, and I'm restless, and I'm discontent. And sober, I'm full of rage and anger, and I don't know what to do with it because I don't like me. I can't stand me, and so I can't stand you, you know, and, and all these things. So this is what's happening to me when I get here. And I love it that Kent shares that at 60 days sober, he was going to take a T-bar to somebody. At 60 days sober, I squared off with uh, my bunkmate at the homeless shelter because this is where my drinking takes me. I, I The annihilation of all things worthwhile, right? I literally got sober March 6, 2010 in a homeless shelter. It was because I was homeless. Like there were no other options for me. There was no place to turn. Family, I burnt bridges. They had let me stay and I... I had broke the rules and I had stole and I had brought chaos. And so no more doors were open to me. You know, no more doors were open to me. And this homeless shelter for women allowed me to come there. And I'm 60 days sober living in the only place I can live. Right. The only the outdoors is waiting for me. I don't have a lot of options. This is the last house on the block. And I had lived outdoors. I had done that and I had gotten tired of that. And so with all this riding on it, I still at 60 days sober square off with a bunkmate over something ridiculous, you know. And uh, she said to me, Amy, what is wrong with you? And I said, I don't know. I am 60 days out from everything that makes things bearable. And I want to hit somebody. <laughs> I want to knock somebody out, man. This is uncomfortable. I don't know how to be in this body and be sober. I don't know how to deal with great big emotions. And I don't know how to deal with pain and remorse and regret and all the things. See, because I would blot out the consciousness of my intolerable existence. And that, that blotting is gone. It's, I'm wide awake. And there is nothing to numb it. And the thoughts of my failures as a mother, the pain I caused my children, the, the things I had done to my family and to loved ones and to anyone in my path, you know, were just crushing down on top of me. And that is how that's what I brought to you guys. You know, that, that that's the that's what stumbled into Alcoholics Anonymous. And and I thank God for uh, the, the people who um are in the rooms, you know, and, and, and I'm not 
unusual. You see me walk in all the time, you know, and and what a comforting feeling that is. But um, so here I am desperate to be sober because I can't live the way I'm living anymore. I literally had reached the jumping off point. You know, I was suicidal and homicidal when I arrived at Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, when I got here, I knew this was my last shot. Like this had to work or else I was going to jump off a bridge. Like that was the plan. I knew the bridge. I knew how I was going to get there. And I was just going to, you know, nosedive off that thing. And that's where alcoholism had taken me. That's where I was. And uh, I started getting busy in, in the steps in it and in this literature. And uh, I have uh, literature-based sobriety because it made sense. It made sense. I remember opening the book to there is a solution and tears would just fall from my eyes. Just that sentence. There is a solution. The gratitude I felt for that um, and the hope I'd gotten when I got to you guys, right? So step one, you know, I'm powerless. I'm, I'm insane. Um, I drink when I don't want to drink. I drink when I shouldn't drink. I drink when I promise myself I'm not going to drink. I'm powerless over that. Um, and my life is obviously unmanageable. I'm estranged from my family. Uh, I'm estranged from my children. I uh, am living on the streets of Louisville, Kentucky. Um, I'm badly underweight and malnourished. My hair is falling out. My teeth are missing. I'm, um, I twitch a little bit. You know, I got a little jerk, you know, I'll probably say, I, I love Zoom. When I speak, I don't usually see myself, but when I talk on Zoom, I look and I'm like, you've had a stroke, lady. Like your whole side of your face is kind of sunk in, right? And I probably did because I I did a lot of side dishes. I drank every day and I like to fight. And when you fight, you take a lot of hits to the head. And when you're drunk, you fall down a lot. I probably did uh, at some point, you know, do some damage, you know. And like I said, I was I was bewildered, you know, and I was uh, bedeviled and I had little control of my emotional nature. And these steps, see, we're going to start straightening out. We're going to start straightening out. But it's not until I get to four that I've got some action to do, right? So I, one is like, you know, do you identify as an alcoholic? And, you know, do these things happen? And as it's laid out in the doctor's opinion, yes, check, check, check. All the, Yes, check, check. That's me. That's me. That's me. And then step two, this came to believe. Man, I, I came to believe because of women like Polly. I came to believe because of the women in my area uh, that got up at the podium and said they were like me, and now they're not. And I didn't know about a higher power, but I knew that AA seemed to work. At least you said it did. And I came to believe you. And you were the power greater than me for a long time. And I started, I read that last sentence in Doctor's Opinion where it says, you can rely absolutely on anything these men say about themselves. And I underlined that. And I thought, trust something. Trust something because you haven't trusted anything for so long. And so my step two was trusting you. That's how it began. And then step three, I got on my knees with my sponsor. We said a prayer and she said, you've made a decision. I said, okay. She said, you made a decision that we're going to go through the rest of the steps. And I'm like, okay, I'm in for that. You know, um, and, and so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to do these steps. And then she would say, you know, once you do the step, like your life's none of your business. Um, you've just turned it over to God. So when things would happen that I didn't like, like, you know, I, I don't know, whenever I got a security 
assignment at the at the homeless shelter and and I couldn't go to my favorite meeting on Tuesday, you know, and little and these were big deals. These were big deals. When little Amy doesn't get her way, these are big deals to, to me, you know, because this is the way my brain is operating at 30, 60, 90 days sober. And she would say, you know, uh, do you trust God's will on your life? You made that decision in step three. I'd be like, nah. you know, so I balked, but I was like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll just roll with it and see what happens. Um, and that's what I did. And then we sat down to do uh, a step four. So a lot of times, uh, step four, it, you know, it's this boogeyman step and it's this like, oh, you know, I don't want to do it. And if you don't do a four, you'll drink a five and all, all these stuff you hear about step four. But I was just in a hurry to get well. Like I hated me. I hated the way my mind raced. I hated uh, that I would, you know, that the, the harms I caused, like I just, I wanted to get through the steps and, um, you know, I am a results kind of person. I like to be done with the process. I want to be wherever the process is going to take me, but I want to skip the process. You know, I, I like can figure it out intellectually and I just want to be there. And I, but I don't want to do the, the work it takes to get there. You know, I came in and I wanted uh, to be 20 years sober, uh, but I wasn't, you know, sure I wanted to stay sober 20 years, you know, and then that's how you get that, right? So that's how you get there. And I, and I didn't want the process, but this, you know, my sponsor convinced me that we were on a life and death errand. I knew that I, I didn't take a lot. I knew I was going to die. This is a life or death errand. And I had to do this. Um, so the first thing we had to look at were my resentments and, and honest to God, something happened just in the first 30 days, like one, two and three, where I, I kind of started figuring out that everything was my fault. <laughs> like I'd heard of that. Like the gig, well, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I'm, I lived on the streets. You get used to reading the room and kind of figuring out what people are saying, you know, in this heightened state of awareness with your dukes up. And I had figured out that, you know, you all were going to say this was all my fault. You know, that that's kind of where we were going with this. So I had decided I had been filled with so much hope. I was on this pink cloud, right? And I wasn't mad at anybody. Like, it's fine. I don't have any, I don't have any resentments. Let's call it even. Right? That's what the alcoholic wants to do. Let's call it even. And I had to get in to listing resentments and, um, and understanding what those were. And in the book, you know, obviously it does this great job of breaking that down for us. And it tells me that being convinced of self manifested in various ways, which was what had defeated us. Right. And so a resentment is when little Amy didn't get her way. When little Amy got her toe stepped on, you know, when I didn't get something I wanted or I didn't get to keep something I had, when you got inside my bubble, right? So, so much of my resentment is wrapped up in my lack of humility. This expecting and deserving attitude that I had walking through life, like it owed me something and you owed me something and I should just have everything I want. And I know where I got this mindset that told me that everything was supposed to go little Amy's way. And when it didn't go little Amy's way, little Amy would throw a fit and, you know, maybe violently attack you, certainly cuss you out. And, you know, and then I would do things to you. Uh, we used to have a guy in AA here that said, uh, they'll get drunk at you. You know, so I'm mad. I'm going to show you I'm going to get drunk. And this resentment will drive me out. It'll separate me from you um, as it had separated me from all the people in my life before. Right. So I couldn't bear the idea 
that my sweet mother didn't deserve my anger, you know, that's hard. That, um, because that's how I justify what I do. That's how I, how I digest it. That's what makes it bearable. Is that, you know, you had it coming. I've got to fix that in my brain that you deserve my wrath, my um, inconsideration, my dishonesty, my selfishness. Somehow you have done something uh, to justify the way I'm treating you. And uh, I had to start getting rid of that. Uh, I heard a speaker say that anything that stands between me and God has to be removed. And right. So in our book, it says that um, that it, it, it's a form of spiritual disease. And it says that what it does is it separates me from the sunlight of the spirit. So anything that steps stands between me and God has to be removed. Right. And resentment is there. It is stand, even though it's not at God, it's at you, right? I'm carrying a darkness. I'm carrying uh, a, a, a low energy. I'm carrying a negative feeling. I'm carrying this justified anger. And it's standing between me and God. And so how am I going to clear this thing between me and God? Ah, huh? Well, I'm going to have to clear this thing between me and you. I have to clear this thing between me and you. And that's what the fourth step allows me to do, right? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to clear the air. I'm going to release this. Anger. I'm no longer going to use this as an excuse for my poor behavior. Um, I'm going to treat you as if this this thing doesn't exist between us, right? And and I'm not the bigger person, you know. I I, I went to Catholic schools. I know that you know we're supposed to be the bigger person and turn the other cheek and forgive people. I, that's not me. That's not me. It's not who I am. It's not like in my core, in my in who I am. I'm a justice girl. You know, I'm an I'll show you girl. And I had to start putting this away because my life depended on it. It had nothing to do with you. So they convinced me to do the steps, not because, you know, the people that had hurt me deserve forgiveness, but because if I didn't, I would die. It was selfishness that drove me into step four and willingness to do the work because I didn't want to die. I wanted to be different. I wanted to be better. I wanted to have what you had. And so I was willing to start putting these resentments down on paper and start asking myself why I had them. And the book explains it. It's the selfishness, the self-centered, it's self-seeking, it's dishonesty, it's inconsideration. It's that little Amy didn't get her way, you know, and so I'm going to hang on to these. When we talk about the manifestation of the spiritual malady, right, in our lives, that it, we're, we're warned through in the fourth step about resentment specifically, you know, that, that these are fatal. For the alcoholic, uh, that, that we'll drink behind them and to drink is to die. I had no problem with that. I understood that. And it, it tells us it's the number one offender. So resentment stays way up there. But if you're a person who, who likes to think yourself, you know, oh, I'm not mad and oh, I let that go, you know, but resentments are, are cunning too because they, you, you think it is. <laughs> You'll convince yourself you did, but then all of a sudden it's affecting your behavior.
you're not going to that meeting. You're not uh, calling that person when, you know, you're passing judgment. I get real judgy. I'm, I'm very judgy of, of people and situations, you know, and maybe underneath that is a resentment, right? Maybe underneath that is some work to be done. There's always work to be done, you know, um, and, and that's what, I, you know, one of the things for me for Alcoholics Anonymous is there's no boredom. If you're bored in Alcoholics Anonymous, I don't know what you're doing. I can't keep up. I can't keep up the the spiritual disciplines, the practice and the principles, the 10 step inventory, the resentments that pop up that I thought I dealt with that all of a sudden, you know, I'm smirking at you or thinking a negative. I'm like, God bless. I thought I was done. There's work to do. There's more work to do. I'm in a continual confrontation of myself to make a space where the sunlight of the spirit can sit. You know, because I'm a terribly flawed human being and, and and there's so much work to do in service and, and sponsoring women and going to detoxes and H&I commitments and things that we can do to help other people. Like there is there's no room for bored. I don't know how people get bored. I can't keep up with with what this program offers us and gives us and the opportunities to do. While Polly was speaking, my aunt, my sweet aunt from uh Baltimore was texting and wants me to bring my mom, her older sister, to visit, you know, and I get to make arrangements and get two plane tickets so I can take my sweet mom to visit her baby sister this summer. That woman that I was so resentful for, that woman that I blamed. See, my mom and dad divorced when I was seven. My dad's one of us. My mom had the sense to get off the track, right? She wasn't going to lay there with me and my sister and get run over by alcoholism. She'd grown up in it. She knew what it would look like, and she had the sense to get off the ride, you know? And then my dad's life spiraled after that. You know, he did get sober when I turned 18, and uh, my dad died with 30 years sober walking on the side of the street. And it was an amazing gift that, that God gave us that we got to be sober together. We got to share this program. My father always said Alcoholics Anonymous allowed me to be the man I'd always wanted to be but couldn't, you know. So, but my sweet mama, here she is, single, raising two kids with this deadbeat loser of an ex-husband, you know, who's uh, just fought, you know, in the grips of alcoholism. And I blame my mom. I blame my mom that my dad's gone because I'm a daddy's girl. And I'm going to hold her over that and I'm going to punish her for that. You know, I said my mom didn't like me. I told you my mom was a bad mom and she was this and she was that. And then I got to Alcoholics Anonymous and I heard a speaker say, I used to think I had a bad mom till I realized my my mom had a bad kid. And I had to look back at that, right? The, the book in Resentment, it talks about where, what are my mistakes? You know, where am I at fault? And what I've done is I have gotten mad at my mom without ever looking at my part. You know, I was a terror. I was a terrible teen. I started drinking in junior high. Like I started rebelling and worrying and robbing sleep and robbing peace and holding my family hostage like a terrorist at the big old age of, you know, 12. I was, I was, I, I, and I did that forever. 
until I got here in 2010. I was 39 years old when I got sober. My mom watched me helpless as I got in bad relationships, as I started having her grandchildren and not taking care of them the way they deserve to be taken care of. You know, the lies I told my mom, the dishonesty, the, the way I stole from them. Like, I would conveniently just blot all that out blot all that out and I would tell you about her you know this thing I had with my mom right <sighs> tensions were high right oh but I but it started to open my eyes to looking from another person's point of view to not being the center of the universe to developing some humility that is necessary for long-term recovery, right? For for long-time recovery, for our wellness. We have to, at some point, develop some humility. And step four kind of gave me this, what if it's not them? What if you have been dishonest about your own dishonesty? Maybe the story you've been telling isn't true. Maybe there's another way to look at the story you tell. You know, I, um, I, I got had my second baby. Uh, I was dating a bouncer at a bar because I like to fight, right? And he likes to fight. So we would get drunk and beat each other up all the time. And I ended up pregnant by him. And he uh, didn't want a baby and he didn't want me because I'm insane. And he took off. And I, in return, started dating his little brother. Not only did I date his little brother, I convinced this man to marry me. I, you know, we're, we're good at that. We are people like us, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty charismatic. We, we mostly have lucky breaks, you know, and, uh, and I convinced this poor sap to marry me and I was married to him for 10 years, you know, and on my fourth step until alcoholism and and then the divorce and all that. But in my fourth step, I had my mother-in-law down as like the reason my marriage didn't work out. My sponsor was like, really? And I'm like, yeah. Oh, yeah. She always, she never treated me well. Let me tell you, the woman was mean. You know how mother-in-laws can destroy a marriage, you know? And I blamed her for this. And I was so mad at her for, you know, shunning me and giving me the cold shoulder and not treating me the way I thought she should. And my sponsor was like, honey, you don't see where you set the ball in motion, I was like, I gave her beautiful children by all of her sons, you know, like I was insanely delusional, you know, my sponsor just shook her head, you know, the way we shake our head, people like, hmm, and she waited for that moment, like when I went, ah, you know, and then she was like, good Lord, but honestly, up until that point, I had blamed that the story I told was a lot different from the reality, I had stepped on that woman's toes, I had set the ball in motion. Like I had no, no accountability in that. Um, but that that's why sponsorship is so important when we're doing the steps, when we're going through this book, because I can't see me. And I think I'm telling you the truth because I'm telling it from where I'm sitting. Um, but a sponsor gives you eyes, right? It gives you a different view of something. It helps you kind of unravel that, you know, where are, I can't see my mistakes. I can't see where I'm at fault. I can't see where I stepped on the toes of my fellows and they retaliated. I only see the retaliation. You know, I have this, I have this view of me. I want to protect the ego wants to protect who I think I am, who I want you to think I am. And the courage, the principle behind step four, the courage it takes 
to strip all that down, to strip all that down. And uh, honestly, look at your life as it actually is and your part in it, you know, and then but now I'm left with this other problem. What do I do about it? What do I do about it? Like I can the book tells me I can no more wish these things away. You know, but our our book is is amazing in that it tells us there's prayers all through the book. You know, we think about six or seven and prayer, the seven step prayer, third step prayer. We think about all these prayers, but the four step prayer on page 67, it says we asked God. So that sounds like a prayer, right? If I'm asking God, if I'm talking to God, it sounds like a prayer. And it says we ask God to help us show them the same tolerance, pity and patience. We would cheerfully grant a sick friend. Oh, now we're talking about change behaviors. Hold on. I thought we were making a list. I thought I thought we were just going to, you know, where this was going to be about discussion, you know. Uh, no, no. We're talking about showing them, showing, not telling them, not telling you, showing them. How am I going to do this? How am I going to show my mom love and tolerance? When inside me, I'm carrying this bitterness and, and anger I can't let go of, right? And we all know about the resentment prayer in the back of the book. But what about the one in the fourth step? God saved me from being angry. Thy will be done. Man, I can read this book, but I don't know what that looks like. I, I don't know what the application of that means. And this is where the fellowship and the unity and sponsorship come in. This is where being honest with what's going on with you and getting the experience of other members is helpful. Because I can pray God save me from being angry. I can ask God that he get let me show them. But man, I, I, I can't get there. I can't get there. When I get around my mom, I get mm, I feel all judged and I start getting angry because when when I feel insecure, when I feel judged, when I feel like you're coming at me, I put my dukes up real or fancied. You might not even be thinking about me. <laughs> That's how crazy I am. I had a lady come up to me at a meeting uh, Thursday, and uh, she said, hey, last week I said hi to you, and, and you said, hey, what's up? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, I took that personally. And I'm like, I, I'm, I'm confused. <laughs> And she was like, well, I, I thought, you know, there'd be more, you know, I thought you'd be like, you know, you would hug me. It just seemed indifferent. It was just kind of a casual thing. Hey, what's up? And I, I needed a little more. And, and I, you know, and I took that person. So I was just wanting to make sure, you know, are we good? Holy crap. Are you kidding me? I had just got cussed out by a lady I was trying to help. I was sponsoring her and she got drunk. And so, you know, that's my fault and AA's fault. And she called to let me know how it was our, you know, F you and all this and all these names. And I don't, you know, I, I, I try to be, <laughs> I try to be, you know, real spiritual, but uh, you know, when you cuss me out, there's a little, well, part of me that wants to clap back, you know, a little thing. And it's not all the way gone. You know, I'm hoping if I stay sober as long as Polly, it'll roll off me like a duck's back, you know. But now it, it takes it takes a pause. There's a long. Hum. God save me from being angry. How would I treat a sick friend? Because really, you know, when you say it's on site. I'll see you when I see you. I want to, that could be now. Where are you? Let's go. You know, because uh, I still carry some of those instincts, those old behaviors. I told you I was dangerously antisocial when I got here. I'm, I'm a fighter. I'm a, I'm a put up your dukes. And, and I, and what it is, is I'm afraid. 
I'm scared. And so when I get afraid, that fight or flight, every animal, every's got one, right? So an armadillo rolls up in a ball and he disappears under a bush. I get big like a grizzly bear. I get big and I get loud and I get aggressive and all I'm trying to do is scare you away because I'm scared. You know, that that fourth step shows us so much about ourselves, right? We have swallowed some big chunks of truth about ourselves and we've digested some things, right? But I have to have the courage to look at that. I have to have the gift of desperation, right? The only way you're going to convince me is if my life is on the line. My very life depends upon it. And uh, I was in Florida a few weeks ago at a conference, and I, I I think they say this maybe down south in Florida, but it was the first time I'd heard it, you know, here in Kentucky or from being from Kentucky. But they talk about that moment when grace and desperation collide in this magic place. And when grace and desperation collide, I get a sobriety date. And when grace and desperation collide, I have the courage to do a four-step. I didn't stay in my four-step long. I didn't stay in my resentments long. My sponsor wouldn't let me. I mean, we had to stop the bleeding, you know, and, and, and I did it to the best of my ability at that time. And what's great about this program of action is I'm going to have time. I'm going to, these things are going to come up in my daily life, right? So I'm going to have a step 10 to help me cover whatever I didn't cover, you know, at 90 days sober, still twitching at the homeless shelter because the things I thought I was mad at Turns out after sobriety and and step 11 and working with other women, I find out more. More will be revealed. But I have these steps in place to help guide me, and I get to come back to it, and I get to come back to it, and I get to come back to it. You know, I will tell you that, like, um, I was about five years sober, and I kicked in my neighbor's door. Long story. They made me mad. You know, whatever. And I, I got justified anger. I carry I carry that stuff in my purse. I never leave home without it. You had it coming, you know. And I I'd, I'd done this, and I called my sponsor. And I was like, "What's wrong with me?" And she said, "You have to do all the steps, honey." And I said, "What do you mean?" She said, "The second half of eleven. I refuse to meditate. Um, if you are like me, and if you're like Kent when he arrived, and so many of us are, you know, we we come in with all of these resentments and some of the, you know." And we do four-step work, and we try to get rid of them, and we do 10-step work so we can revisit them. Um, But if you're early in recovery, you know, um, take another woman through the steps or another man. If you're a man, take them, however you do it. Um, Here, we stick it late. I don't know. Never mind. I know uh, out in California, you guys are all crazy. Men sponsoring women, women sponsoring men. In Kentucky, our sex instinct's too big. We can't do that. We'll mess the whole thing up. (laughs) At least I will. Uh, but I, I, if you take a woman through the steps, she's going to bring out, you're going to see in her things you thought you were okay with and that you had dealt with. And so, like, you know, you're going to go through the steps the first time. But every time I take a woman through the steps, it is an invitation, right? This, it, Teresa says the steps are an invitation to us. And it's an invitation to look at ourselves, to grow, to examine, right? And in step four, we have this invitation to, to look at our own resentments and how they've served us. Because, again, you have to convince me that I need to be rid of this. So you tell me that it's fatal, 
Well, that, that's a good argument to, to look at resentments. You tell me that it blocks me from the sunlight of spirit, and I know I need to be in the sunlight of spirit, so that that's a good reason. You tell me that it's going to cause me to continue to harm others, right? Because I'm going to continue to act in these ways if I don't identify and be rid of these things that are blocking me. That's a good reason, right? And then you asked me to take another woman through the steps. And when I take that woman through the steps and, and I'm listening to her and, I, and, I'm, and I'm talking with her, a lot of times there's shared resentments that we have or similar resentments. And I can share with her what I've done. And then sometimes they're new. And she'll say something happened, you know, in a fifth step. And I'll be like, I'm mad. I'm mad for her. Why am I mad? If I don't have my own resentments, I'll borrow yours. That's how sick I am. I'm like, they did what? Oh my God. Now it's going to be my resentment because I crave this chaos and this confusion and this, this thing that allows me to judge you and treat you poorly and, and sit away from you and, or snub you or, or, or come after you, you know, whatever uh, poor behavior, this harms against humanity that I want to do. I need a resentment to fuel that and justify it and make it okay. Right. Um, so we're continually struggling and, and reevaluating these in our resentments and intense up. We get to look at that. Right. Because my resentments are going to they're going to kind of change my behavior and how I want to be versus how I am. You know, um, my dad would always say, you know, when you're about to act a certain way or do something, he said, you know, ask yourself. He said what he did was he would say, would you act this way? His sponsor's name was Doug. He said, would you act this way if Doug was in this room? Would you say those things if Doug was on the phone, right? Because we do, we feel like we, we know what to do, uh, but as long as you're not looking, I'll do what I want to do, and, and I don't want to be held accountable. But when I hold myself to that standard, some uh, somebody that you admire, respect, or has something that you want, you know, would you behave that way in front of them? And for me, I would behave whatever way I wanted, regardless of who was there. And that's something I had to look at in my behaviors, right? Because I'm the mom that did not provide safety and security and consistency for my children. I'm the mom that um, would throw a fit or fist fight somebody. I never had the maturity or, or the, the desire or the selflessness or the humility to say, let's have this conversation later when it's more appropriate. Right. My anger, I have it a fuse that was so small. I would just go from zero to, you know, let's fight before you finish the first sentence because I had these great big emotions that came up and I had to start this spiritual malady that was affecting everything I did. Resentments was just a place that I I stayed in uh, my life and doing it, putting it on paper and looking at my mistakes and then doing these prayers and then changing my behaviors, how I treated other people um, mattered. And, uh, and it was part of this in this four and five that, you know, I was able to do effectively complete six and seven because I always say four and five drove me to my knees. Our original manuscript, when it talks about seven, it says we humbly on our knees asked our creator. And I can tell you that four and five drove me to my knees. It crippled me. It brought me down to my knees because when I looked at these resentments, these things, these excuses, these reasons why I did all the things I did and treated you the way I treated you and you would drink too. And don't you understand And all these things the ego did to protect protect itself that alcoholism did to protect the drink when those lies started to be dissolved and broken down and my mistakes were shown i was just left with a an unbelievable knowledge a knowing 
that I was going to have to have a higher power. And and while it had been you for a while and that had gotten me that far, it was going to have to be bigger than you, even bigger than you. And I thought the world of you, but I was going to need a higher power, one that could change a wretch like me, a woman who had harmed without guilt, without remorse. I had wielded the sword of righteousness and cut to ribbons the people around me. How was I going to be something different? I knew I needed God. I knew I needed a God of my own understanding. And you you all talked about this loving and forgiving and funny God with a great sense of humor. It was real big. And like Polly said, he loved me. Okay. Okay. We got to get broke down in these things. I got to know in one, two, and three that I need some help. (laughs) And I got to be willing to start with me. And that's four and five, right? That's my fourth step. Those are my resentments. How I'm going to get rid of these, what I'm going to do with them. And and I pray. And, And here's the thing. We don't go to jail for what you think. Right. So I'm I as I have to treat you, I have to show you tolerance, love and pity. You know, I would say, you know, my sponsor would be like, you you pray for them. Right. That's what you do in the fourth step. you got to pray for them. And I'd be like, I don't want to pray for them. And uh, my sponsor said, I want you to pray for them, even if the words taste like shit in your mouth. You pray for them. You know, it was about what we do. It was this program of action. And somehow these things that I didn't think would matter, that I didn't think would help, began to help. I heard speakers say, you know, I told you that big deal about like, what if I treated my mom like as a good daughter would? What if I stopped waiting for my mom to be a good mom and I start being a good daughter? What does that look like? Right. And so I would start doing that and I I would pray. And I heard this from a podium. Right. Guy said he would approach his mother's house. He would see her outside in the yard and he would say, God, let me see her like you see her. Let me see her like you see her. Show me what you see in her because God loves all of us and he sees his this he he likes us you know and and so i want to i see with spiritual eyes i want to hear with spiritual ears i want to i want to soften this hatred this resentment this thing that i've carried and nurtured and protected right to to protect the drink to protect the ego to to justify my behaviors you know i i I want this to dissolve so that i can be this new creation standing in the sunlight of the spirit so that i can treat people differently so that i will feel better so that i can stay sober so that I can stay sober, right? Um, and I started doing that with my mom, and my sponsor uh, said, I want you to call your mom every Sunday and just say, you know, I love you, mom. And I was like, man, that's going to be weird. You know, me and my mom, we don't have conversations like that, you know. I mean, my, me and my dad do, but me and my mom don't. You know, there's been this distance, this thing between us for so long because she had such a bad kid when she had me. And uh, But I did it, right? I took the action. And I started calling my mom every Sunday, and this kind of lends itself to some of the amends. I had made an official amends to my mom, and and that was good, and it was quiet over there. And I, but but there was more. There was a demonstration of this right in our homes, and even though I didn't live with my mom, this was a family. And and Polly talked about this, and some of the people that think Polly talked about this, the 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 reunion of these families, the these loved ones that we've hurt, that we've. Um, and alienated from our lives, you know, for whatever, or they have 
alienated from us because of the harm we caused. They've had to just pull back from us, right? And there's this um, restoration of love that can occur. And so I started taking the action. I started calling my mom every Sunday because I was told to call my mom every Sunday. And eventually the conversations got a little longer. And then we're calling each other on Wednesday to check in. And um, then I started to visit my mom on Sunday. Just for a few hours, I just go to her house and see how she was doing and visit and leave. And uh, a year later, my mom was diagnosed with lung cancer and um, it was a scary time for our family. But I'd done that legwork. I had followed your suggestions. I had built this relationship so that when that happened, my mom called me and she wanted me there. And I was able to go stay. My mom's cancer free today, thank God. But it's been a, a long and crazy, you know, five years getting there. Um, uh, but, you know, I'm on the phone, right? While Polly's talking, getting plane tickets. So me and my mom can go visit her baby sister in, in uh, Maryland this summer. And that's something me and my mom do. And I have this relationship with my mother that I wouldn't have ever had if I hadn't been willing to look at those resentments. If I hadn't been willing to look at my part and my mistakes, if I hadn't been willing to ask God to help me show the same tolerance and pity and love that I would cheerfully grant a friend, that if I hadn't said the prayer, God saved me from being angry. If I hadn't been willing to com- continue with the rest of these steps and that step nine, the, that amends process and, and that living amends to my mother and that step 10 where I'm constantly looking at, where are you disturbed, Amy? What's going on with you, right? My sponsor's favorite thing, which I can't stand, but it's her favorite thing and I've learned to do it, is that in our 12 and 12, it says, whenever I'm I'm disturbed, Something's wrong with me, not the other man. The inventory is ours, not the other man. That was a big deal for me too, real, uh, getting sober. I, I, All my behaviors were justified, you know, of course, because of your behaviors. And uh, my sponsor was not interested in what you did. And I thought, well, you won't understand why I did what I did if you don't let me tell you what they did. And she would say, I don't care what they did. I don't sponsor them. Tell me the story as though you were the only person there. Well, I'll look crazy. And she's like, ah, huh, ah. You know, I think the only time I ever bucked up against my sponsor, I, I okay, so my husband had made me mad because husbands make people mad, and I don't have love tolerance and patience. I'm only about four years sober. I have some, but not a lot. And he made me mad. And so I go to the bathroom and I did my hair up and I put on fake lashes and perfume and, uh, you know, a cute little outfit. And I storm past him to arouse suspe- suspicion and jealousy. <laughs> Like for that purpose, like that is, yes, yes. What are you doing? This is what I'm doing. I'm arousing suspicion and jealousy. That's right there. Page six, look it up. That's what I'm doing. And I want him. And he's like, where are you going? I'm like, to a meeting, you know, my indignant, you know, let him know. He'll be sorry. Then treat me right. You know, I didn't go to a meeting. I went to see my sponsor. My sponsor's like, why are you dressed up? I'm like, because I told Greg I was going to a meeting, you know, and I wanted to arouse some suspicion and jealousy. And she's like, What? What are, you, what are you doing? And I'm like, well, let me tell you. He, that is, she said, ah, stop right there. I don't want to hear what he did. And I'm like, what? She's like, stop right there. Well, you asked me what I was doing. I asked you what you were doing. Well, he, I don't want to hear what he did. Well, it doesn't make sense if I don't tell you what he did. And then I just tell you what I did. Hmm. Dang it. 
Man, I was so mad. I swelled up. I said, why don't you just be on Team Greg then? You know, and stormed away. And my, like, you know, we're so dramatic. Flipped my hair. Oh, my gosh. You know, I had to learn to be sponsored. I had to learn to let go of resentment. I had to learn what that looked like. And I and I was allowed to do that through good sponsorship and, and, and the consequences of not doing it, you know, and learning what that feels like. My dad used to say, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? And I thought that was the most ridiculous question anybody ever asked me. I want to be both. Being right makes me happy. Like, I want to be right. You know, like that was that I, I what a stupid question. Do I want to be right or do I want to be happy? I want to be right and happy, happy that I'm right. That's what I want to be, you know. And uh, you stay sober and you stay around here a little, a long, you know, long enough and you develop that God conscious and, and you really start working on these spiritual principles. I want to be happy, you know, but it, you have to get there and you cannot wish it away. There is work to do. Right. A price must be paid. Right. We have to the leveling of pride. The ego must be smashed. Man, the ego edging God out, you know, but first, before I can edge him out, I got to let him in. Right. He was edged out when I got here. I was nothing but ego and, and resentment and justified anger and harming others, you know, and self-loathing and self-obsession and self-interest and inconsiderate and dishonest. God was gone when I got here. The steps are going to let God back in. Right? It's going to unblock the things that stand between me and you. And then it's going to unblock the things that stand between me and God. And as long as I keep that open, right, because when you're filled with the sunlight of the spirit, when you've allowed God in, you just have to be careful. The ego doesn't start edging God back out. And I can do that when I get self-righteous. I can do that when I get judgmental. I can do that when I stop saying yes. Right. When I start thinking I'm important or I'm busy or I've got what do you have to do? Right. I have to say that to myself like, lady. You washed in here 50 pounds underweight and hair and teeth missing, twitching, and, th- and this thing saved your life. There's nothing else I got to do today but be right here with you beautiful people celebrating the program that changed all of our lives and continues to save lives all across the world. You know, to be included. To be thought of. Uh, I'll tell you real quick. Um, those those kids I heard. I told you a little bit about my mom. My dad and I were able to heal our relationship. I was able to let go of those resentments. What about my resentment to Alcoholics Anonymous? What about that? What about my dad got sober when I was 18 years old. And he got sober with you. And who were you? That he couldn't get sober for me. You know, as an, as a, you know, I had to get over that. I had to get over that. So that I could be here so that you could save me the way you saved him, you know, um, the resentment against, you know, people say, are you resentful against yourself? Of course I am. I hate myself. Right. And I start doing esteemable acts and I start giving myself credit. Like, like, uh, Kent said, what are you doing? Right. You know, and I start looking at that. I go foot to pavement in this deal, man. Ralph said it earlier. I'm a junkie for this. I love to feel good. And AA feels good. You know, I love to be spiritually aligned. I love to be in the sunlight of the spirit. I, growth is uncomfortable if you're new to the steps and it doesn't feel as 
great as everyone seems to think it, uh, you know, it's telling you it feels like I get it. It doesn't. Um, but I promise you it's worth it. I promise you it's worth it. And, and I don't balk anymore when it's time to do a 10 step. I, I was telling you, I thought you're still where I was still doing that. I had to do 11 step again, uh, you know, really get into 11 and, and practice meditation as part of my program of recovery, follow all the rules, come all the way in, sit all the way down. I had to start building on that part of my thing. Um, and when I did the steps in 2010, I do the steps when I take women through the steps. <clears throat> and as long as I continue my maintenance steps, I'm good. But there was a time when I was so resentful and angry that my sponsor put me back on four. She said, you haven't been doing a 10th step, have you? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No. No, I haven't. Let's get honest. I haven't been doing a 10th step. I think about the 10th step. I can recite the 10th step. I talked to you about the 10th step, but I've been doing a 10th step. You know, I, I'm dancing in my prayer and helping others, but where's the self-inventory, right? Where's the mirror? Where's the thing that I'm supposed to be doing to stay in spiritual alignment, right? To continue to guard against uh, unselfishness and dishonesty and, and fear. Where Where is that? Or am I just letting it pile up? And my sponsor said, man, you're, I need a whole four set from you. Like, you're sick. <laughs> Oh, yeah. All right. You're right. I am. You know, so as we go through the day and we're going to learn more about these steps and, and why they're in order. And, and, and there's not one you can pick out and say this one. You know, there's so much. I can't wait to hear uh, Leslie Nax and, and Candace later on. These, you know, um, get you some sheroes and heroes. You know, these men and women. What I love about these men and women is that there aren't any pedestals to put them on. You know, they're going to tell you, you know, I put my pants on the same way and, and 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 we get to be a part of this and we get to learn from each other and we get to love on each other and we get to just say you know this is messy man life is messy and i'll never rise above human and but but i think that um i think we're doing okay you know i didn't drink today I have an earnest desire to please God and get along with my fellows. I have an earnest desire to, to make sure that there is nothing blocking me from you and nothing blocking me from God. And, and then I'm willing to, to be used as he sees fit throughout the day. And, um, you know, Tim Hyland, a, a member of my home group, he always says, you know, if you take care of God's kids, God will take care of you. And I believe that, you know, I don't have to worry about me today. Uh, I, I do. You know, the ego wants to, but I don't have to. Um, my Heavenly Father has never let me down. And that's the truth. And the proof is in the pudding. And I can absolutely rely on anything these men say about themselves. What good news it is for us who suffer alcoholism. What a beautiful deal. What a beautiful deal we get to be a part of. Greatest show on earth. And I got a front row seat to miracles every day. The age of miracles is still with us. And our own recovery proves that I know mine does. When we look at a third step prayer and it says, take away my difficulties, the victory over them will bear witness. I thought that meant like I was going to get a car and a million dollars. And then you all would know that God loved me and I wasn't wrong. You know, I said, this is how crazy I am. right? But my difficulty is I can't get along with you. My difficulty is I'll kick in my neighbor's door. My difficulty is I'll be mean to people and justify treating others poorly because of my own delusion and resentment and the inability to look at myself. Those are my difficulties, the spiritual malady that I suffer from. And I have victory over alcoholism today. 
through the steps, through the service, unity, recovery, through the three legacies. That That's what is bearing witness. And the fruits of this, that I have a relationship with my mom and my children and my husband and myself. You know, that that's the... That's the deal, that victory over these things will bear witness, that, that this program works, that, that if you follow the dictates of a higher power, you will live, presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your, your current circumstances. All those promises are true. If you're new, I encourage you to keep on keeping on, man. Foot the pavement, nose the grandson, the reward is great. The reward is great. And if you've been around a while, thank you. Thank you for making sure the doors were open. When I came in, all twitchy and nutty and crazy and loving me back to life and demonstrating this program for me so that I could follow. That's all.